This episode wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Gather Content. Gather Content helps people who build websites work with their clients to plan, organize, and collaborate on web content. We'll tell you more about Gather Content later in the show. This is Unfinished Business, the show that talks about the business end of web, design, and creative industries. Today is Friday, 19th of July, 2013, and this is episode 28, the one where we finally, finally get around to talking about contracts. The show's hosted by me, more boiled sweet than hard-boiled, Andy Clark, and by my co-host, she keeps a pistol in her purse, femme fatale Anna Debenham. I don't have a purse. You told me that you had a coin purse, then you could put like a very small pistol in there. What, the one you gave me? You didn't have a coin purse before that? No, I had a Kinder Egg. Uh, Oh, that was it? Yeah. Yeah, we can't keep a pistol in a Kinder Egg. No. Imagine trying to get that to like give it to little Jimmy. Little tiny one. <laughs> yeah, no, here, here, little Jimmy, have a Kinder Egg. And they're banned in America, Kinder Eggs. Yeah. Yeah, because they're dangerous. No, it's because they've got pistols in them, obviously. <laughs> Just figured that one out. Oh, is it hot enough? It's hot. I'm wearing, um, I found an ice pack in the freezer and I wrapped it in a flannel and I'm, I'm wearing it. I'm not going to tell you what I'm wearing. Oh, no. I hope you're wearing something. It's leopard skin. (laughs) (laughs) It's my leopard skin leotard that we talked about two shows ago. (laughs) I don't believe you. You've got got Dan round. Yeah, I know. Dan, just for listeners, Dan, my friend Dan is downstairs. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So he's he's seen. He can vouch for the leopard skin leotard. Sure. (laughs) Hey, Dan, what do you think about the leotard? No comment, he says. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, I've discovered something, though. What? I think it's against the law or against the rules of physics for you to be able to eat an ice cream or a lolly without taking a photo and tweeting it. Yeah, well, you know. Are you unwrapping another ice cream now? Yeah. You're on, like, 20 a day. It's so hot. I have to keep myself cool. You can be the size of a house. Like, <laughs> two weeks. It's like so much ice cream. Well, Ooh. ice creams are just water. Ice cream is and some form of dairy. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's like milk and sugar and fat. and It's not diet food. And delicious. Ice cream. Yeah, I know. But it's not diet food. Whatever. It keeps me cool. Anyway, we, we should... <laughs> We should keep the banter short this week because, two things, we've got a lot to talk about and people complain. Oh, dear. They, no, they send emails going, can you like get to the business bit a bit quicker? <laughs> All right. Point and, taken. Yeah, I know. Uh, people have been sending me tweets going, you know, oh, God, he's moaning about the soap again. <laughs> well, so, we should save that for a whole episode. A whole episode about soap or about moaning? Because this about I, I mean, soap. Oh, I could moan for a lot longer than an episode. <laughs> so yeah, so we are finally, finally going to get to talk about contracts today. Can you wait till I finish my ice cream? Yeah, if you want. Hey, I suppose we should mention that, um, or should we mention that other podcast? You know, the other one. Um, Bergwell. Yeah. No, not that one. Happy Monday. Not Happy Monday. The other one. Back to work. No, not that there one. There are a lot of podcasts. 
Yeah, no, the other one. The other one we don't mention the name of. Mm. Anyway, they're talking about contracts this week as well. Maybe, mm. we, maybe we won't mention it. Maybe we won't point No, I think we there. should, and then people can have a listen to that one, because I'm sure they'll cover stuff that we'll forget. Ah, you're so fair. <laughs> yeah, the freelance web, that one. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. They're going to uh, they're going to be talking about contracts this week as well. So, isn't it funny how the universe converges? So, are you going to talk about your contract killer? I think so. I think we should use that as the the basis of the conversation because it's something that I know a fair bit about, um, having written it, and it's been the thing. This is the thing. It's, it's been the thing I've been the proudest of. I can honestly say that. I thought you were proudest of this podcast. Well, I, yeah, okay. Well, it's the other thing that I'm proudest of. Or, or your son? No, I'm talking about work. <laughs> not talking about, you know, my apes collection or my family or other. Oh, that's not in order of importance, by the way. Um, yeah, no, I'm really proud of this thing. And I didn't think when I wrote it that it was going to have the popularity or the longevity that it seems to have done and it really makes me happy when i see people um, sometimes on twitter they'll be you know mentioning it or referring to it or saying to somebody else oh i use this you know i use i use andy clark's contract killer yeah um and you know that's great because you know we do this podcast because we want to share a little bit about you know business experience because you know, we're not natural business people and I think a lot of others are just the same. But when it comes to some of the, you know, more difficult areas, you know, legal stuff, contracts in particular, then, you know, actually helping people in some way or another, that's great. You know, I'm really, really proud of that. I suppose we should explain for anybody that doesn't know um, what this contract killer thing is. I first saw it, um, you wrote an article on 24 Ways uh, a few years ago, and that's is that where you first started talking about it? Yeah, that was the thing. Um, Drew had asked me to write my usual uh, December 23rd, I think it is, uh, slot. And to be honest, it was like one or two weeks before that article was going to come out and 24 ways was in full flow and I think Drew had started to chase me (laughs) for the article and I thought, what the hell am I going to do? And I didn't want to do another CSS tutorial because, you know, they come, they go. And then I had this idea because we'd been dealing with contracts or something one week and I thought, do you know what, why not? just write about the contract that we wrote. Did um, you think that people were going to find it useful? I hoped they would. I didn't realise that they'd find it quite as useful as they seemed to. Um, and I think that that's, that's because of the way that it's written uh, and the simplicity of it. And I think that that makes it quite accessible, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I've read a lot of contracts over the years um, and, you know, I've signed a load that maybe I shouldn't have done <laughs> for reasons that, you know, I shouldn't have signed them. And, you know, they are difficult. 
you know, knowing what to include, knowing what not to include, knowing how to phrase things. It's, it's quite hard. You know when you've got something that you really know you need to do, but you think that it's too big a job? Yeah. So it's quite hard to, what do they call it, inertia? You know, when it's, you find it really hard to get started? Right, I think yeah. that, I think I that's what, what you mean. Yeah, I think that's what people, um, people are like with contracts. So if they find it useful, if it gives them, you know, a head start and encourages them to, to do it um, and to write their own or at least to start using one off the shelf if you have to, then that's good. That's good. I'm pleased with that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's popular. Uh, it's been translated into lots of languages I've seen. People have referred to it in articles. You know, I've seen articles on Smashing Magazine about it and on List Apart as well. Cool. People write about it. It's just really, really nice. So, yeah, it's, it's the thing that I've done work-wise anyway that I'm most proud of, which is, which is good. Um, and you know it's out there I made it open source uh, there's no license you don't need to really credit me unless you're going to be making some kind of tool out of it I suppose Yeah. I've seen that I've, I have seen a couple of times when um, I think it was the Australian Designers Association something like that basically kind of put it out there as like hey we've, we've got this contract for you for all <laughs> our members and somebody kind of politely said do you do realise that that's actually the contract killer and they were like oh okay <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, I don't, actually, you know what? I don't mind really. I'm, I didn't do it for the, for the glory. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's out there now. We put it on GitHub when I figured out how to use GitHub and Docracy as well, which is some kind of legal document sharing site, which is quite cool. And yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, I tell you what, it was funny though. We've, we've had, we had the most hilarious story. I, I think I was away somewhere. And I came back home and Sue told me this story. She's had this phone call, which was about the contract killer. Have I told you this? Oh, about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I'll tell it for the listeners. It was so funny. This lady apparently phoned up, phoned the office one day. I wasn't here. Sue picked up the phone. And this lady asked to speak to me um, because she wanted to interview me. She was working for some kind of gaming magazine and there was going to be a new game. I think it is actually called contract killer that was being launched. And they thought that it'd be a really good idea for their magazine. If they interviewed me about my experiences (laughs) and Sue's like, yeah, that all sounds fine. But why do you want to talk to Andy? And she said, well, he's a contract killer. (laughs) And Sue went, no, and then she went on, she said, and she carried on trying to convince Sue <laughs> that I was somehow, you know, um, you know, had another job on the side. Oh. And <laughs> in the end, the penny dropped. And Sue said, well, no, no, he's not a contract killer. He wrote a killer contract. <laughs> and that she wouldn't let it go, this lady. She's like, but I've Googled him. Oh. And, and, you know, and I found him through this. And so I had to say, listen, you know, my husband's not a contract killer. And if he was, <laughs> do you think you'd be able to find him on Google? <laughs> and 
the lady said, oh, I feel really stupid now. And she just went, yup. <laughs> so, you know, if, if if I'm kind of, you know, known for that, then 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 that's great. Well, being um, a contract killer. Yeah, for being a contract killer. But, you know, I wrote that. I wrote it in that, um, if you read the original article on 24 Ways, it is written in this really tongue-in-cheek kind of hard-boiled style. Yeah. And I did that two years before I wrote Hardboard Web Design. And then on the front cover of Hardboard Web Design, is, is it you? No. <laughs> well, it's, I, I suppose. It, 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 I think Kevin made it look a little like me, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're going to write a book, you might as well put yourself on the cover. <laughs> well, you know, so you don't do that many times in your life, so, you know. And also, you get a chance to dress up without actually dressing up. <laughs> Although, I do like to dress up. But, you know, the, the thing with this contract killer article was, up until that point, we hadn't used contracts on every project. You know, and sometimes things had gone well, and sometimes things had gone badly. Yeah. And it had helped us to have something which was pre-written that we could quickly modify with a few parameters for different clients and get it out the door as part of our, um, you know, package of of things that we do when we kick off a project. Yeah. And that helped enormously to have that. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons for, for sharing it. But I don't know whether you saw, did you see this week, um... Keith Devon, he's a developer. Yeah. Uh, he actually started doing a little survey. We'll put a link in the show notes here. Um, a contract survey. I'm just going to pull up the results now, see how, we, see how he's doing. Because basically he wanted to find out whether or not people were using contracts um, for routine. Yeah. So let's have a look here. I'm just pulling up the, the figures now. So today's Friday, 19th. So he said here, um, how do you handle contracts? Thirty percent say they generally don't use one. Oh wow! It's better than the results in Cole's uh, Cole survey yeah, last we'll year. Come on. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. That was shocking. Forty-one um, percent—that's good. Use an open source template like mine. Fourteen uh, percent wrote their own. Yeah, not many people get lawyers involved, um, and ten others. I don't know what others mean. So that's good. That's a lot better, like you say, than Cole's results from last year. Because mm. he asked, "What do you normally use a contract?" What was what was the figure? Uh, was it fifty six percent said no? Ah, fifty six percent. What is going on with people? <laughs> I th- you know, I still find that staggering. He's just done his new survey, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's he's just put it out. We talked about that last week. Um, did but I'll did put he have a show notes again? Yeah, did he have a survey question in this one? I haven't uh, a contract question in this one. I haven't yeah, seen. he did. Right. Okay. So it'd be interesting to see how the figures stack up. Um, but I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think that if you start a project, any project, it doesn't matter how big or how small, um, it doesn't matter whether you know people or you don't. Whatever it is about the job you should if, i mean if you start off a project without having a contract signed you are a donut 
<laughs> Seriously, you need your head testing. So I was having a chat with. Uh, do you know Lisa Reichelt? We've never met, but I like her work a lot. Um, I was having a chat with her over lunch yesterday. Uh, you know, I mentioned we we're going to be talking about contracts, and um, she doesn't use a contract uh, for projects. And I was kind of asking her, you know, why don't you? And have you ever been burnt before? Um, and she has quite a few reasons why she doesn't use one. And I really want to get her on the show at some point um, to talk about. She's she's a great businesswoman, and um, it'd be great to chat with her about sort of her opinion on using contracts. Um, and she was saying, you know, she hasn't she hasn't really been burnt by not using one. Uh, the only time that she was burnt. Uh, was because like a company uh, liquidated or went insolvent and you know a contract wouldn't have really helped in that case Um, I think a lot of people only start using one after they've been burnt and you know like I only started using one after um, a client just took months and months to pay Um, and you know she was saying that she just has a sort of verbal communication with the client um, instead of a contract. It's, you know, there's nothing necessarily written down. Um, and she's happy with that. Well, that's, she's really lucky. I mean, Lisa's a very smart cookie. Um, and, but she has been really, really lucky, I think. She said, um, and something that I, I agreed with, um, that, she's very picky about who she works with so off you know a, a, a contract isn't going to help you uh isn't going to stop you from working with idiots basically no no um if you use a contract instead of you know it, thinking that it's going to protect you from people who you probably shouldn't work with in the first place you know if you've got if you get a gut feeling that you shouldn't work with them you should probably follow that no, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the most important things about, you know, picking who you work with and who you don't. Yeah. And I don't care whether people go, oh, you're very fortunate to be able to be picky about who you work with. You know, I don't care, you know, how experienced you are or how long you've been in business or anything like that. Go with your gut feeling because the only times when I've really had a problem was when I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I... When, when I when I really you know, went against my, my gut feeling. But I'll tell you what, I mean, yeah, Lisa, Lisa's very smart, but I, I, I do think she's still been very lucky. And a lot of people think about contracts purely as a legal document, right? Yeah. They think about it because of, like you say, being burnt or trying to prevent you from being burnt. But that's, to me, that's not everything, about yeah. what a contract is. I see it as a kind of communication of um, what my standards are, um, you know, how I'm going to work for them, uh, when the start and end dates are. It's it's kind of reference for me as well to, to you know, make sure that, that I'm providing the sorts of things that they're expecting. Yeah, but as well as that, what a contract does is it says things without saying them. And what it says most importantly of all is I am serious about my business and I'm serious Mm. about how I take care of it. 
And that's why I'm having these things written down so that we can formally agree on them. And that's, you know, good for you and it's good for me. And what it does is it it gives you not just a level of protection, but it gives you almost a layer, a level of authority. And you're going into the relationship with the client on um, at least an even footing. Yeah. And this is this is what it does. It says, I know what I'm doing. I have my own standards and I have my own ways of working and we are choosing to work together. Um, it's not just, you know, you're hiring me, so you're in control. We are choosing to work together. And the contract, if you like, is documenting that. And that, that's really, really important. It isn't just about money and time scales and who does what, although obviously that's important. What it does is it just says, listen, I'm calm and I'm confident and I know about my business. Yeah. So we got an email from David Griffiths and he's talking about the reasons that he doesn't use a contract. Um, and it, it kind of, I think he had the same kind of responses Lisa did um, in that he says that he tends to select clients quite carefully. So um, it's never really an issue. Um, but he says one of the downsides is that they don't supply copy on time or meet payment schedules. Um, it's certainly a contract certainly doesn't help often in them sort of supplying copy, but it does give you a kind of um, something to work towards. I think if you have something written down, that's a lot easier for both you and the client to kind of to start as a basis. Well, here's the thing, right? I completely respect what David says. And, you know, we like to think, you know, that, you know, you work with somebody for a period of time and you get to know them well and you're on friendly terms. But there's a very, very fine line between um, getting on with somebody in a professional context and mm -hmm. then being a friend. Now, I would say never, ever cross that line because if you do that, you are in danger of them maybe not meeting their obligations because they think, well, it's David, you know, it's fine. I, you know, he can wait a week. Whereas actually, to be honest, you know, yeah, sure. We're, we're in the, this business to, uh, you know, to enjoy ourselves and to do something that we're really happy with and we'll make people happy and do great work and all those things. But at the end of the day, it's a business mm. and you have to take care of that. So a contract isn't going to prevent a client from defaulting on content, for example, or yeah. defaulting on payments. It's not going to stop them from doing it. It's but also what, not going to stop you from having to go to court or, you know, no, do all those things. No, none of those things. But what it does is it says to them, listen, if we're going to work together, these are the rules. Yeah. And, you know, these are my rules. You need to follow my rules. If we're going to get the job done for the price and within the time scale that you need, these are the rules. Yeah. And you need to follow them as much as I need to follow them. And that's, that's what a contract is. And this is one of the things with the contract killer. And we'll go through some of the different aspects of it um, today and maybe next week. Yeah. Is that... It's not something which is designed to trick or fool anybody. It's not something which we're trying to tie either 
the supplier or the client in knots. It's you actually their... say that in the contract, in your contract killer. I do say that in the That's contract right killer. right at the start. I can't remember the exact word. I think it was something like if, you know, even though this is written in plain English, this is still a kind of serious thing. Yeah. Well, the, it, it just sets the rules and it says, you know, I'm serious about my business mm. um, and I care about my work and I want to protect myself as much as I want to protect you. This is like a partnership agreement in a way. Think of it like that rather than as a contract. I see it of a, this is how I work. Um, and it's very much a kind of, you know, I present it to them and I say, if there's anything you want to change, just let me know, because it is a two-way thing. Um, and often they'll bring up things like um, sort of ownership of content, ownership of code, you know, who's going who's gonna to own that at the end of the day. It's not just, a, it's not a static kind of sign my contract, these are the sort of legal terms of engagement with me. It's more of a um, a kind of, it's like a work spec, but from my end. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a frame of reference and it's part of a conversation that you are going to have with the client, which will ultimately prevent any nasty misunderstandings. I think and... a lot of people are quite apprehensive about giving their client one because they worry that, that the client's going to kind of feel a bit sour after getting it. But mm. yeah, I've, but never, the... I've never had that experience. And, and often when I give it to them, they'll comment on, hey, this is really quite useful. And um, the first time I used it, I had a client saying, oh, this this makes me feel a lot happier um, because now I know kind of what to expect because I've never worked with uh, web designing before. I've heard that from a lot of people that clients actually like that contract killer language yeah um and you know we put a few jokes in there whether people leave them in or not i don't care but i've never i've never had anyone not want to sign it or not like it i always get comments every time i give it to a client about it being readable and just useful so but i think there are a lot of contracts that are written in a way that that is scary and would put a client off well this is the thing right and We've talked about this a little bit, but to me anyway, a contract is part of a series of documents that you might exchange with a client. It's part of a conversation that you're having. And in the same way that you might give somebody a document about how you work in an agile way, which is another thing that we do, uh, we use that contract as a way of explaining to somebody how we work. And it has all of the most important things in there. And it has everything kind of written up front so that, you know, they understand about copyright issues and they understand about browser testing and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is about that. It is about kind of the, the fine details. But I still say that the most important thing that this contract does is demonstrates how you want to do business right yeah and it sets the tone for everything that you're going to do in the future so if you want to be really formal because you're that kind of company well you know be really formal but if you want to be a little bit more you know conversational and laid back and approachable which is what i hope that we are then your contract can can demonstrate that, and you know, I, I have heard that people find it you know approachable. The other thing is, is that people are all, they're always sort of begrudging about. Oh, I've got to do a contract. 
or they're worried about contracts. It's like, oh, yeah, I really need to get the client to sign this. As if somehow that, you know, if I give the client, maybe what's going on in their head, right, is they're thinking, if I ask the client to sign this contract, maybe he's going to think twice about working with me and, oh, I really need the work. <laughs> and they, yeah. Right? And they don't want to have that difficult conversation. Yeah, well, actually, because it- as we've found... People like it, you know? People like the like the contract. I used to be so scared about that sort of thing. I used to be, like, there were a, my first two or three projects, I didn't mention what I was going to charge at all. I was just waiting for the client to bring it up. And there was one time, you know, at the end of the project, I just said, pay me what, whatever you think it's worth. Because I was just, I didn't want to talk about money. Um, but in, in like contracts, it's it's something that you've got to talk about because this is a business. It's not, you're not you're not just doing this as a hobby. Uh, maybe you are, but it's still it, it's still a business. If you if you're charging money, or if you want to charge money, it is something that you do have to. Whether it's whether it's as a contract or you just verbally communicate with the client, you do need to talk about these things. Don't think about it as if it's something which is dull and boring and... And scary. And scary, right? Because you should be designing your own contract. I mean, yeah, do you know what? I love the fact that people just take the contract killer and they use it. And, you know, that's brilliant. But what I'd really like them to do is to learn some lessons from it and then go off and write their own. Because you should design and write your contract in the same way that you design your take care with that as well as you would design your website as well as you would design your business cards think about it as a creative challenge think about it as a as a creative project and put your own personality into it make receiving it part of the overall experience you know the story of dealing with you and then it won't be this nasty thing yeah. It helps prevent any nasty surprises or the nastiest of nasty surprises. Like, oh, I didn't. Yeah, think, I and, thought we agreed that we were going to charge you this much. Yeah, and it says to the client or the prospective client, these guys are cool. They know what they're doing. They've taken care with every aspect of what they do. Even the contract that they've given me to sign looks brilliant and reads really well. These guys must know what they're talking about. And that's the best reason for using a contract. Yeah. Hey, we should talk about our first sponsor. Yeah. So we love to talk about small software developers and their products. And our next sponsor is another product I think you'll really enjoy. It's Gather Content. Gather Content helps people who build websites work with their clients to plan, organise and collaborate to produce web content. And I bet everyone who's ever made a website for a client or for their company will know what I mean when I say that planning, gathering, organising and collaborating on content is one of the trickiest parts of any project just because, you know, there's so many different people who will be involved in it and it's it's a difficult thing to do to write content for your website. First of all, people will email you like a Word document or Excel document or have you have you ever been sent like a PowerPoint document? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> client sends me images embedded in oh, the PowerPoint Oh, brilliant. 
you can't really blame them for it though because that's what normal people use but then you as the web designer or developer you have to trawl through all of that cut and paste it all and um and just pick out the bits that's useful from that and often it's in a format that is just doesn't make any sense for the site that you've you've built and you also have to keep track of that every time someone wants to make a change um, often people send you the same file twice you know just in case and and you have to store them and you have to try and find which is you know which one of these files is the most up-to-date one I really I really hate dealing with with content documents over email and then there's there's finding a way to sort of collaborate over those changes um, so I often have to edit a client's copy on the fly and often because it's just so terrible you um, as well yeah, yeah. Sue was saying to me this week, she said, you're the only person that I've ever worked for that obsesses over, like, the commas, the punctuation <laughs> in client copy. Oh, I do that too. I do that. Good, um, glad it's not only me. <laughs> and I feel bad having to kind of write to them and tell them what I've changed. Um, and it just, it really drags on and I just want to be, I just want to be building the website. Working with content can be such a nightmare. So that's what Gather Content will solve for you. So it's a new web application that helps you centralise all of your content developments and get content approval all in one place. And it's a place that's easy to use and that your clients are going to love as much as you enjoy using it. Gather Content saves you time by gathering content together by keeping everything in one place. It makes it easier for you to get approval on content through reminders and due dates. That's so useful. Project delays are often caused by content not being ready, so Gather Content helps you launch your projects on time. And it breaks down into structured documents that help you guide your clients and copywriters through what needs to be written. And it also lets you export your approved content directly into your CMS using their plugins or API. Gather content customers include Razorfish, Harvard University, and HappyCog. In fact, Brett Harnard, VP of Project Management at HappyCog, said, Gather content makes it easier to organise and write real content early in our process and helps us avoid the headaches often, used, often caused by late content. So you should take Brett's advice if you've ever had problems with you know, clients sending up through content, and you should start using Gather content. Prices start at $49 a month, and that's for up to five active projects. They set up a, set, a special page just for listeners of this show, and it's gathercontent.com forward slash unfinished. And even better, if you sign up through that page, you'll get 20% off your subscription. It's a great offer, and you, you know, you'll save money and time in the long term once you get using it. So that's Gather Content. It is good. It's, I've been starting to use it with a couple of clients and it's a lovely system. Content's like one of the biggest headaches in, in a project just because it, it can take so long to be, get sent it and the format that you get sent it in just often adds to... to I, I remember having um, a project where I was sent something like 50 Word documents and I just had to pick through all of those and convert it all into the right format. And oh, it was just awful content as well. Well, we've got a couple of projects on the go, um, smaller ones. And we always share the Dropbox with a client. And, you know, you find all kinds of stuff going in there. And then you, is, is this the most up-to-date version of the Word document? 
Especially when there's like a big team working on it. You know, there's like a school, for example, you've got every head of department writing content for for their page and they'll all do it in different formats and they'll all kind of use different headings and it's just, oh, it's a nightmare. And the, yep. the pictures as well, often they'll sort of include them separately or in a PowerPoint. And yeah. Yuck. <laughs> so next week, we're going to talk about some of the details of the specific clauses, maybe, that needs to go into a contract and the things that have been included in the contract killer. Um, you know, why they're in there and what they mean and the problem that we want them to solve. We, we touched on a few of these, these yeah. earlier on. Um, you know, that might take this show, it might take next show. You know, we'll talk about this for a while because I think this is one of the most important things that you know, we need to talk about. Yeah. But this week, I thought it would be useful if we discuss what a contract should include. Yeah. Just in kind of broad terms. And, you know, I've... When I was doing the research for, for the show, I dug out quite a few articles you know, on the web about contracts. Um, most of them were really long and really boring. <laughs> um, so I think that it would be nice if we just give people a, you know, a, a nice short summary yeah. of the kind of things that need to go into a contract. And then we'll talk about the details yeah. next week. So... Well, I was I was doing some research too, and um, one of the things that is kind of important when you when you're writing a contract is to take into account um, it's something called IR thirty five. Have you heard of this? Is this something to do with tax? Yeah, kind of. It's basically the tax man wants to make sure that you're working for someone um, as a company, and that you're not kind of working there when you could be an employee. Like gotcha. there are some places that will hire contractors instead of hiring employees, um, and that's as kind of tax avoidance. Um, and you, as the sort of supplier, you're kind of responsible for for making sure that you comply with IR35. So I'm just going to throw in some links to um, some kind of things that you should bear in mind when you're writing a contract. Like you shouldn't put um, what your set days are or what time, you know, you go off for lunch because that's not something a, a contractor does. That's something like an employee does. And you don't, you can't put things in there about things like holiday or sick leave. Um, Cause again, that's, that's for kind of em- employers, employees only. Um, I'm not going to go, into that because it's kind of boring but it is important um so i'll I'll put some links in the show notes i do remember this now from years ago when it came in and it's quite a recent thing in terms of and it is it contractors who get stung a lot because it does you know a lot of a lot of what we do does kind of fall into that and you have to basically demonstrate if you're a contractor or a freelancer, you have to demonstrate that you do have a range of other clients. Yeah. And you're not working for someone for, you know, a period of time when, like you say, you could be an employee. And that you own your own equipment um, and also that you have kind of start and end dates. And I just feel like if you didn't have a contract, that would be really hard to prove. Yeah. But if you do have a contract, you've got to make sure that it doesn't include things that it shouldn't include. Tell you what we did forget to do. We forgot to do our disclaimer. Oh. 
<laughs> do you want to do <laughs> now, that now? Well, while we're talking about kind of legal stuff, it is, it is important that we just say that um, we're not lawyers, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not. Um, <laughs> don't know about you. So we, what we're not doing is we're not giving legal advice. This is, you know, our experiences. And like I said on the podcast, generic templates and contracts may, make to, may f- fail to meet your needs. Um, so, you know, if you've got a problem or you want some proper advice, go to a lawyer. Yeah. That's, you know, that's not us. But we'll kind of tell you what we've learned. So at the start of the contract killer, and I suppose any contract, I think it's really important that you give a really simple outline, an overview of who's being hired. Yeah. Um, and who's hiring who, what they're being hired to do, and for how much, yeah? Because of a couple of things. One is uh, it's important to make that distinction. Even going back to IR35, it's important to make that distinction that possibly it's your company that's being hired, Mm. not you as an individual, yeah? Yeah. Because, you know, we both have limited companies, but the client isn't hiring, you know, Andy or Anna. Yeah, they're hiring the company. Exactly. And um, that's another thing that you kind of, that you should make clear in the contract. You know, if you're not available for work, you know, if you get ill, then are you going to provide a replacement? Because if you can't do that, then you're effectively an employee. That's yeah. how I read it anyway. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. So we have to be careful about making it clear where the responsibility lies and you know, the responsibility for us anyway, it lies with stuff and nonsense. Um, so, you know, if there's a problem with something, you know, if I do get ill or I need to travel or something like that, well, it's our responsibility um, to, you know, to, to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. And that's something which is, you know, really important. I mean, just it probably sounds like, oh, well, of course you need to write down who's in the contract. But, you know, people work with people. They don't work with companies necessarily. Um, so it is important to write that down. And then the other thing which is vitally important um, is that you write down in the contract who is doing the hiring. And, again, that might sound like something which is pretty obvious. Yeah. Right? X company is hiring stuff and nonsense. But, you know, you want to make sure that in the contract – it is the company that's hiring you that's responsible, not the individual that's hiring you, right? Yeah. Um, because I know that I've, and I, we haven't experienced this, but I know people that have where somebody within a company has commissioned some work and then when it you know, gets further down the line, usually when the, the, the payment needs to be made, and the company goes, oh, we didn't authorise that. You know, that, that, that's not us. We go, oh, yeah, we have a contract. But, yeah, the contract was signed by. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's really, really important to... Has that ever happened to you? No, that hasn't happened to me. Um, but, like I say, I know people that it has. Yeah. So... Especially you want... in, a, in a massive organisation where there might be, you know, the people who actually um, sign the contracts and things are in a different country, um, the procurement, you know... Yeah, and often your contracts are signed not by the people that you're going to be working with. You know, they need to be sound, sound, signed by, you know, a senior manager or maybe even the legal department if it's a bigger company. Um, yeah. 
Or, you know, if, even if it's just like, you know, one or two guys, uh, you need to make it clear who has the authority to commission the work and ultimately who has the authority to pay the bill. The way I see it, I'm not working for a client unless I've got a contract in place because otherwise they're just kind of giving you money for unspecified work. It might be verbally specified, but if they leave, then where do you stand? Exactly. And yeah, you, know, you might get on very well, going back to David's scenario, you might get on very well with the people that you're working with. But, you know, they may move on. And we've had it, you know, we've had it over the years where, you know, we've built up a great relationship with a client and we've done good work. And then, you know, the person that we worked with goes off and leaves or does something else and their replacements come in and they bring their own team. You know, they bring their own suppliers that they've liked to work with before their own favourites. And, you know, all of a sudden you're out on, on your ear. Um, where do you stand if, like, if they just stop paying you and you get back to them and say, oh, I'm not being paid, and they say, well, we didn't have any agreement to, to pay you after this date, and, it, yeah, just it's messy. I, I, I never want to be in that situation. I want to be absolutely sure I've got a contract in place. It says, you know, you are sort of hiring me from these between these dates, um, so if they didn't pay for whatever reason, like I said, well, you had a contractual obligation to do that. You know, it's not, it's not, even if you work with great clients, they're not the ones, of, of, they're not the ones who are paying you. A lot of people ask, should I use a contract for every piece of work that I do? So for example, right, you know, I do a work, uh, a website for you. And, yeah. you know, there's a contract in place and everything goes right. And, you know, you pay the bill at the end of the week and, you know, we're all happy. And then you come back and say, do you know what? I've got some stuff that I need to do. It's only going to be a day. Yeah, can you do, can you do a day for me? Yeah, and it'll take you, you, what, half an hour, an hour to draft up that contract? Well, here's the thing, right? So some people go, well, do I need to do a contract for that extra piece of work? Um, and now maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, maybe you think that an email is just enough. You know, email confirmation is as good as a full contract. Maybe you think that's right. But what I would say is you've got to pick the figure that you're prepared to burn or lose, right? So you say to yourself, listen, I'm prepared to do 500 quid's worth of work um, and take a risk. And anything over that, then, you know, then I'm going to go full contract. Because, you know, you have to assess how much you know, risk you want to put yourself through. Because, yeah, it yeah. is a pain. It is a pain to, you know, have to raise a contract for, you know, for every little piece of work. So, that you said, know, maybe... I mean, the way you write it, you can make it very quick to update a contract so that it's it's sort of applies to that client. If you have a kind of a boilerplate one that you use, it, it doesn't take that long to to kind of edit it. No, it doesn't. And again, some people think, oh, well, blimey, no, do I need to put the client through that kind of hassle? Well, you know, actually, yes, you do. Because, you know, you wouldn't walk out of a shop without paying for something. Um, yeah. And, you know, just, just on the gentleman's agreement that you're going to get paid, that you're going to pay for the, you know, for the television <laughs> in a week's time. Um, so I think it's incredibly important that you have some... Uh, formal structure for yeah. being commissioned. And, you know, that could most definitely include having a, a contract or a mini version of it for smaller bits or incremental work. Yeah. We got an email from um, Josh Green asking us um, 
whether whether it's okay to just have a contract that can be signed over email or um, rather than having to kind of send a piece of paper. Is that something that you do? Do you use any of these kind of digital, you know, services? Do you know what? I, I, I don't actually use one of these digital signing secure things, whatever they are. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, what I will do is I will send a PDF of our contract to a client yeah. and... I, you know, they can sign it in which, uh, and I actually say in, in the accompanying email, you know, sign it and return it to us in the way that's most convenient for you. So sometimes they'll mail it back or sometimes they'll <clears throat> sign it, take a photograph with their phone and send me a photo of the signed copy. That's good enough for me. And then what I do is, you know, you can sign things really easily in preview on the Mac. Yeah. You just hold up your... Have you done this? You sign a little yeah. bit of paper. Yeah, and then you hold it up to the eyesight camera. Yep. And then that's what I do. So whenever I'm signing my half of it or I'm signing somebody else's contract, I'll just do that in, in preview and then email it back to them. Nice. But it's still my signature. I just hate... That just the thought of printing it, you know, connecting the printer, putting new ink in it because it's always run out. You know, that puts me off doing one. But if I know I can just email it over and... And just get a signature over, um, over uh, the camera. That that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be precious about this thing. What what matters is the the symbolism of it, right? It's you've received this document that has um, some responsibilities attached, and you have to agree to them. You don't have to make clients jump through hoops by, you know, what faxing it back to you. God, I've actually had to do. Um, NDAs for clients where they've said, and oh, we need it faxing back. <laughs> that? Man, we haven't had a fax machine uh, for like five years. You can get one of those uh, services that will send it when will send like an email over fax, but uh. <sighs> don't want to do that. You don't want to make clients jump through hoops. You want to jump through hoops yourself, right? So the most important thing is that it's about the symbolism of them agreeing to these references. And yeah. however you get it back, you know, you get it back and you file it and that's the end of that. The other thing I think that it's important to put at the start of a contract right up front is the summary of when the job's going to take place and yeah. how much the job's going to be worth, how much money is going to exchange hands. Um, I've seen contracts where that kind of stuff's been buried to like, you know, paragraph 32 Mm-hmm. And I just think that, you know, you know what people are like, you know, they get bored reading more than <laughs> half an A4 bit of paper, right? So you want to make sure that that stuff is right at the very top so that they can't skip over it. They can't miss it. I have and it kind of, I have all the payment schedule and stuff separate from the contract in that it's on a separate piece of paper. Mm, you can do that, but just at the beginning of the contract, I mean, I do this in Contract Killer. It's just basically to say, you know, we're hiring you for this amount of money. What do I actually say? You know, you're hiring us effectively for the estimated total price of um, to design and develop a website as outlined in our previous correspondence. Um, Of course, it's a little more complicated than that, but we'll get to that later. Um, So you should put it in two places. Uh, if you want to put it on another bit of paper, you want to put it further down where you've got your detailed project uh, 
deliverables and timetable and stuff like that, then you know, do do that too. But belt and braces, put it up at the top as well, so that they can't you know miss that. Gives them a couple of opportunities, um, and then nobody can claim, oh, well, I didn't realise it was going to be that much, <laughs> you know, because it's because it, it's written down. Yeah. And th- that's the most important thing, I think. Just put that summary in at the beginning, because you know that's the kind of summary that is effectively the whole damn contract. Right? That's it. You know, you Anna Debenham located at your address in sunny Brighton are hiring mm-hmm. us stuff and nonsense located in sunny Wales to design and develop a website for the price of as outlined in our previous correspondence. And you know, boom, do you know what? If that was the only part of the contract and you just sign out, that'd be it. Right? That, that's that whole thing in one sentence. Yeah. So important. There's, um, we got another email from uh, David Bushell. Um, and he mentioned that he's added a clause that covers unforeseen disasters that either terminate or extend the contract. Um, things like acts of God that damage work beyond repair or acts of government that may force clients to reevaluate their business or things like illness or bereavement that might make it difficult for either party to continue. I think that's that's a good idea. That's Maybe something we can discuss that, that more killer... in the next. Mm. That is something that the contract killer doesn't have right now. Right. Um, along with something which I've been meaning to write into it for a while, which is another thing Mike Montero mentions in his brilliant book, um, mm-hmm. Designer's Job, uh, a kill fee. Which is right. basically, you know, if, if, if either of us want to get out of this thing, what happens? You know, what financial penalties are attached, for example, if the client turns around halfway through and says, listen, you know, my business has just gone down. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to lay off 10 staff and, you know, we can't continue with this project. And that happens well, you know, more than, than we like to think because of things mm, like startups. Mm, oh, absolutely. So... Those things, I think, yeah, they, they need to be written into the contract killer. And we'll probably get to that next week. Yeah. Definitely. The other thing that really needs to go into any contract is details of what both sides need to do, right, in terms of their responsibilities and tasks as well, right? Because a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, Andy's asking Anna to sign this contract. So basically, you know, it's almost like he is superior. You know, I'm like the superior one. And I'm asking you to kind of meekly accept my terms. But contracts are a two-way thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing that people forget, right? They think that... You're protecting them as well by proving that you're, you're, you know, by saying, you know, I'm going to deliver this work at this time. Hmm. And, you know, the best contract, because sometimes people will, you know, I'll have my contract and, uh, and we'll both sign it. And then you will have your contract and then we'll both sign it. You know, you got two sets of bloody lawyers or something like that. All for a website, right? So the best contract is one that you can both sign and both be happy with, thinking that it's both your own, right? Yeah. Because I, I have it where if the client has a contract, I'll sign that. I might ask for changes to be made so that it's got everything that's in mind. Um, I just want something in place. I don't. I don't mind if it's my contract or theirs. I just want something. Oh, I want it to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's because yours is easier to read, and yeah. usually a few hundred pages shorter. 
Well, here's the thing, right? Contracts are not about one person winning and another person losing. Like you say, it's a two-way thing. You're entering into a relationship. You want to work with somebody, not hopefully not just for one job, but for you know a lot of jobs going forward. Mm. And you both have equal amounts of work to do and equal amounts of responsibilities. And, you know, we can't design and build a website without stuff from the client, either, you know, actual stuff, content, um, going back to our fabulous sponsor. Um, We can't work without that. But at the same time, we can't work without their input and criticism and you know, signing off as well. Yeah. So they have to be around and available to to help us with that. Otherwise, you know, it, work's not going to get done. So clients will often come to you and they'll say, you know, well, first of all, say how much for a website, right? <laughs> um, and then they'll say, well, we need it to start next week. That's the thing they say. But what they say, they kind of generally put a timescale on things. Yeah, we'd like to, you know, we'd like the job to take six weeks. You know, we'd like to launch in September or something. Um, and we've got a budget. And, you know, those are kind of like immovable objects. Yeah. Now, in order for that to happen, because we can agree to that, we can say, yeah, we can build you a website, you know, in that time for that money. But... And that's our responsibility. You know, we're saying, and we're saying in this contract, we're going to do this work for you to accomplish your goals and your time scales and everything else. But you need to do the same thing. You know, you need to um, do things for us. You need to, uh, you know, be available for us for communication. You need to give us the assets. You need to give all this stuff. And what this does, this goes back to the whole thing about contracts, not just being the legal stuff, right? Because you don't have to put in the damn document you know, we need you to provide text and images and this and in what format. You don't need to do that, right? What it's saying is, what it's saying most important of all is, listen, you've got as much responsibility for making this thing a success as we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get into that whole, um, I'm the client and I'm paying you, so therefore it's your responsibility kind of thing. None of that, right? This is about saying, listen, if we're going to do this, then... We're in it together. And this document kind of cements that. And yeah. that's why it's so important. It's so important. Going back to what David was saying earlier on about, well, maybe the client then turns around and goes, um, you know, well, a bit late on content. Well, a bit late on payment. Well, it's, you know, the contract's not going to stop them being late. Yeah, it's not going it to stop is, them being, being assholes. <laughs> no, it's not. But what it is going to do right at the beginning is it's going to be saying in great big letters tattooed on their forehead, right? You have as much responsibility to make this thing a success as we have. Um, and if you don't have a contract, then you're not saying that. You're just saying, yeah, give me money and I'll do some work. Yeah. You know? So this is, this is important. This is like one of the key things is it needs to say what both sides do to make the project a success. Um, and, you know, the way that we work, because we work mainly in this kind of weekly working routine, well, you know, it says that in, the, in our contract. It says, you know, this is what we do. And, you know, if you don't get stuff for us one time, we're, we're going to blow it. Yeah. And, and if we blow it, it ain't going to be our fault. You know, you might have yeah. to buy another week. So this is the kind of stuff that's so important. And I guess, I guess the other thing, 
which is really important just to summarise right at the beginning, is details of what's in and what's out, you know, what's, what's included in the scope and what isn't. Um, you know, we've, we've got clients that will expect us to do certain things, um, even if they're kind of not written in there. You know, things like copywriting, for example. Um, you know, we, we, we will say, yeah, we'll edit your copy, you know, quickly, but, um, you know, if, if you want actual copywriting, you know, not just kind of, you know, a great bit of editing. Um, copywriting is going to be extra. Yeah. Um, we so don't stating do... whose responsibility that is to, to produce that. Yeah. And I guess and... that could also apply to things like who, who's paying for hosting, who pays for things like fonts, um, images. You know, they might expect you to do that, but you might be expecting them to do that. No, absolutely. Because, you know, a client will often say to you, well, why should I pay for the font? You know, isn't, shouldn't you have the font on your system? As if, you know, designers have every font that's ever been <laughs> designed. Yeah. So those things are incredibly important. And like you say, things like hosting as well. Because what, what we do, I don't want to be nickel and diming people for hosting accounts anymore. I don't want to do anybody's hosting. Yeah. So we say in the contract, we're not responsible for hosting. We'll help you get the thing set up. Um, but, you know, it's your account and your responsibility. The same thing with Typekit and FontDeck. Um, you know, we've used both of those services over the years and, you know, Typekit and FontDeck won't know, but, you know, cause we've got the clients that are signing up with their own credit cards. Yeah. So that, that thing's really important. Um, just include a brief summary. Um, and you know, you can go into this in more detail if you want to, you know, we're quite specific about some things and not specific about others. And like I say, next week, we'll start going through some of the details of the clauses. Mm-hmm. Um, but just include in there what's in and what's out and be quite specific about it. You know, don't be afraid of saying what's out because somebody might assume that it's in. Yeah. And then there should be something in the contract which is about what happens when people change their minds, which, you know, they always, almost always do. Like about um, what? Well, you know, you're doing a great design and, you know, you're working on something and, you know, it's always hard, isn't it? You know, often people can't articulate what they want before they start seeing stuff, yeah? Yeah. So they can tell you exactly how they want this thing to look or work and they can be really... um, definitive about it they can have written it in a functional spec they might have written it in their tender document um but then when they actually see it they go do you know what i've had a better idea (laughs) Mm. um and quite often no there's two ways that you can handle it you could either turn to the client and go i'm sorry that's in the contract we're not doing it that way but you know that's no fun because it just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth or what you can say is that's a brilliant idea um and like we said in the contract, you can keep changing your mind all you like. We're just going to roll this into another week. Yeah. And they can go, okay, that's fine. Now, or they might just say, actually, we don't want to do it anymore. So the thing is, is not to necessarily detail what might change, but detail how to handle things that are changed. That's really important. Because with the best will in the world, when you start off a project, you don't know everything about how it's going to end up, Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it is something that you could always come to when it happens and you could write a separate contract for that. 
but it's easier to just have it up front and then they know um yeah if they do decide hey I, I want some changes made and I remember in the contract it said that we could do it like this and it's just kind of it's it's um it's like um being prepared for any eventuality, any eventuality. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It's about being prepared. Now, you're going to know how you want to handle something up front, aren't you? You're yeah. going to know, well, listen, you know, either we nail it down at the beginning and there's no changes, yeah. or we allow for changes, but we have a formula for that. You know, we have a, a way that we deal with those things. Well, if you have a way, write it down, yeah. just so that people know what to expect. And I think it's nice for people to, to look at that and say, oh, you've actually had this happen before and this is how you deal with it. Um, it's not treating it as like a oh oh you want to make changes oh I don't know about that yeah I know it's it's you know we keep talking about this but the whole thing is is that you are showing your professionalism and you're saying to the client even without saying it we've we understand what we're doing here and we know how to handle these situations and we're telling you how it's going to work yeah and also kind of saying these situations are normal they're part of the process and yeah sort of freak out about them (laughs) exactly so that's important putting that little framework in is really 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 important in the contract and then the other thing is there has to be some form of uh legal stuff in there too and we won't go into it today but what makes a contract different from another form of communication um is some of that kind of more legal talk and in the contract killer, I try to keep it to an absolute minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I even put the word few <laughs> at the end of that section. But, you know, you do need to say, listen, you know, these are the courts in which, you know, the law, the countries in which, you know, this law applies. Yeah, you know, especially if you're working with someone in a different country. Exactly. So you have to put that stuff in. And, you know, nobody likes it. Um, and... You know, you can try and lighten it up. I mean, I say things about transferability. I say, just like a parking ticket, you can't (laughs) go give this contract to somebody else. Yeah. So you can be, um, you know, you can be funny, you can be jokey about it. If that's your style. If that's your style. Um, But you've got to put that kind of stuff in there. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, it's okay, actually, to, you know, make people smile when they get the contract. So if you want to put jokes in there, if that's your thing, well, don't feel that because this thing is called a contract that all of a sudden you have to put a suit on to read it yeah. or write it, right? If if that's your style, you know, I talk about men with big dogs being called out. <laughs> you, know, if, you know, if you do something wrong, don't forget the men with big dogs, um, you know, because that's my style. You know, I yeah. like to do that thing. And, you know, it makes people smile and they think, ah, oh, I mean, name like stuff and nonsense. This is exactly what I was thought that I was going to be reading. Yeah. You want to do it? I wouldn't slightly- put that, though. I think no. I have something different, but that's because, you know, that's my style's different to yours. Exactly. And this is what makes me really, um, not insist, but, you know, really keen on people. Yeah, sure. They can take the overall shape of the contract killer um, and, you know, some of the details of the points that need to be included, you know, in any contract. But I want you to write your own. Yeah. You know, put your personality into it and think of it like a creative challenge. You know, don't think, oh, I need to just, like, throw some crappy contract together again. You know, take a couple of days and design it. You know, sit there, turn the phones off, 
do whatever you need to do to, to feel creative. Um, s- surround yourself with action figures if that's what helps. And <laughs> Have an ice eat, cream. Eat ice cream, exactly. And work on your own contract. You'll um, feel so much better when it's done. I remember when I tried to have mine up, I think it took a day. Um, and I did it alongside other things like invoice and um, I had a service contract as well for if people wanted me to kind of maintain a site. Um, and I just spent a while kind of designing all that. I did really nice print versions, but I never ended up using the print versions. Yeah. Um, I also sort of put them in Google Docs so that, you know, you can use that to kind of track changes. Uh, if the client wants to make changes, they can do that. Um, yeah, and it just, you'll feel so much better once you've done it. And I, yeah, I've never had a problem with sending one. And people say to me that, you know, did you get that thing checked by a lawyer? Well, you know, actually lawyers have seen it and, you know, some like it and some don't. But, you know, that's the nature of the beast. The thing to do, once you've sat there and you've written your contract and you've got it, you know, how you think that you want it to be, you don't need to send it to a lawyer for checking. Pick three of your best clients, you know, three of the people that, you know, you work with all the time. Um, Send them a copy and say... You know, from now on, we're thinking about, you know, using this contract. Um, Tell me what you think. Yeah. You know, get them to tell you whether or not it reflects your brand or your personality and that experience. I had Um, a lawyer look over mine just, um, I booked like an hour session um, and they just had a look at it. And I think they were quite surprised by it, Um, you know, that that it was just so kind of plain English. But they said, you know, it's basically it's an agreement it doesn't need to be full of legal stuff. I mean, a lot of people like to put all the legal stuff in to cover every eventuality, but in most cases, it's quite straightforward. That's what matters. That's what matters. Right, we should really wrap it up. Yeah, I think we're a bit longer this week, but hopefully... Well, there's so much to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, and I'm sure we'll overrun next week as well. So you can email me at shehas at unfinished.bz and Andy's hehas at unfinished.bz or you can email us both at theyhave at unfinished.bz. All the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes. You can find them at unfinished.bz forward slash 28. And to ask us questions and suggest topics, message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, Gather Content. Gather Content helps people who build websites work with their clients to plan, organise and collaborate on web content. And you can support the show by supporting them. We'll see you next week. Phew, what a scorcher. One, two, three. No. Oh, that was perfect. No, it wasn't. It was just, it was, it was uh, no gap. No, we've got lag. Oh, do another one. One, two, three. That was more in time. No, no. (laughs) I don't think this works. (laughs) Ah, dear. Okay, clapping, done. That's one for the get grill. (laughs) Right, should we start this? Yeah. Hey, tell you what. What? I lost three pound this week. Ooh. <laughs> Not down the back of the sofa. Which means I can I bulge less in my leopard skin. So is that side. four pound altogether? That's four pound altogether. So I'm You just could a, buy a pint in London. 
For £4? Yep. Is that how much it costs? Mm-hmm. Man, up here it's still like 40p. <laughs> it's true. You just walk into any pub up north and they'd like give you a pint for 40p. They sell them with the Kinder Eggs. No, no, they don't have Kinder Eggs up here. <laughs> you don't well, live up north. You live in, Lond- in, um, in Wales. Yeah, I know, but it's still north, north. It's not like, you know, it's near Manchester. A bit between Man- Manchester and Liverpool. That's kind of, you know, roughly where we are. Anyway, no, if we had Kinder Eggs up here, you know what they'd be in them? Uh, pistols. No, a bit of coal. <laughs> that's what you get. Here, little Jimmy, you get the Kinder Egg. That's going to keep you warm. That's going to keep you all warm all winter. I tell you what, no, I'm, not, I'm making that up, but do you know what I didn't? I'm not making up. Years and years and years ago, I'm going to embarrass Alex now. When, when he was at junior school and we'd only just moved to Wales and we were living in this house, that, you know, because we bought it now, but we were living in it and it had no heating for the first winter that we were here. Oh. Flipping heck, it was cold. And it was only, we were renting it at the time and it was only as we kind of were about to move in that the lady who owned it said, oh, and by the way, there's no heating. <laughs> you kind of expect there to be heating. Yeah, well, she gave us, in the end, she gave us two electric plug-in heaters, which were the most expensive way of heating this house. <laughs> it costs us like a thousand pounds for three How months of electricity. How can there not be heating? Because it's... Well, we ultimately, we put in like an oil-burning boiler, but there was no boiler, there was no hot water, there was no nothing. <laughs> so thanks, Surely um, that's not landlord. legal. Uh, well, I don't know what was legal and what wasn't. But anyway, so we, we were flipping freezing, and Alex started going to the little junior school in the next village. And he was, what, seven, eight, something like that at the time? And apparently, anyway, when the teacher said to him, you know, OK, Alex, you know, what would you like for Christmas? And he said, I'd like some coal. <laughs> and the teacher came back to us and said to us, it's time we saw her on parents' evening, Alex is strange, you know, he, he asked for a bit of coal for Christmas. <laughs> and yeah, because it was so flipping cold. Aww. Anyway, that's what you get in Kinder Eggs up here, a bit of coal. Sure. <laughs> hey, <do> you, <laughs> no, I can't eat ice cream because I'm on a diet, but I do like ice lollies. Ice lollies are okay because they, they are just water. Mm. Do you remember... Dracula lollies. No, but I remember Casper lollies. What, like Casper the Friendly Ghost? Yeah. Don't remember They were glow-in-the-dark, I think. They were blue. They were good. Mm. What, Dracula... Bubblegum flavour. Yeah. Dracula lollies were, as I remember the the thing now, from the advert, as black as midnight with a blood-red jelly core. (laughs) Oh, it's lovely, because they were like... Black currant flavour on the outside, and then they had this sweet blood red jelly on the inside. Mmm. Mmm. So I'll put a link to the ad in the show notes. Do you remember Texan bars? No. God, you missed out so much. So much. They were. They're like sh- wagon wheels. No, they were some kind of chewy caramelly bar. Sure is a mighty chew. No, it was great. It was really, really nice. They had this advert on TV. It was like, you wouldn't fire a man until he's finished his Texan bar, would you? You've put in here a link to the advert for the Dracula lollies from 1981. Yes. How do you expect yes. me to have <laughs> seen that in 1981? What year were you born? 1990. That's nine years before you were born. 
Yeah, how do you expect me to remember Dracula lollies? Well, maybe I don't. So I don't know, I forget how old I am. That's, <laughs> that's what happens when you get old. Um, well, I don't know. All these things, all these foods that have passed you by. Hmm. So that means that we can have more banter because, you know, you can just, when you're done with listening to this one, you can listen to the freelance web and get even more content. Yeah, that is true, I suppose. What else are we going to banter about? um, What's your favourite ice cream? Uh, 99 with a flake. Mm. Although I do like a bit of lemon meringue ice cream you know when you go out to these fancy places and they have like you know would you like one or two scoops and mm. yeah and you get them out of the little tubs yeah i like those lemon like meringue the gingerbread one mm. so i'm eating a twister at the moment all you have tweeted or talked about this week has been about ice cream you're obsessed woman well it's only summer here for a couple of weeks so i've got to make the most of it that is true you can eat ice cream at other times you know it's not banned mm. We probably should talk about contracts. We've got a lot of content. <laughs> You've got um, a mouthful of ice cream. Yeah, but it it's very small, so I'll, I'll finish it in a minute. Sorry, it's not very professional. I don't think it's professional when people drink beer on podcasts, but... Who drinks beer on a podcast? I know, you get those podcasts where people will have, a, like, a craft beer and they'll talk about it, um, kind of review it while they're drinking it. Well, that's slightly different, though. Is that so, like, yeah. I could do the same with ice cream. Mm, yeah, and you'd have to listen to me slurping all the way through. <laughs> oh, the picture that you put in it's my It's melting. Head. You sound like the Wizard of Oz. Mm. Mm. We're going to have to edit this buff out. This is all this 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 whole segment. <laughs> this is for the gag reel. This whole segment is for the gag reel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just the, you slurping. Mm. Nearly done. <sighs> Well, I should put my feet up on the desk. Mm. You shouldn't have started eating this before. Well, we... I'm gonna, do you know what? I'm going to pick up my going slightly brown apple while you finish this. Okay. Because I put it down because I was being polite. <laughs> so I don't want to be crunching in the background. But if you're going to sit there slurping a 99, then I'm going <laughs> to... I should have got a milkshake. But... Mm. Mm. My ice cream is better than your apple. Yeah, but your ice cream doesn't help me lose four, three pounds. <laughs> and I ordered some gym kit today. Hmm. I got um, some trainers with the idea that I'd go out running, but I never did. I don't like running. It's like the whole sports deodorant thing. I bought some of those big elastic bands, those power bands. What are they? They keep your belly in? No, they're basically big f- elastic bands. And you use them when you're exercising and you like, you know, sort of pull them and stretch them and you use them instead of doing weights. But they're so small you can just put them in a bag and take them away with you. So you could be doing stretching on the, on the move? Yeah, so when I go to hotel rooms, like next week when I'm back in Geneva... I can take them with me and I can be doing a proper workout in the hotel room, hmm. which is really nice. And I bought some dumbbells, which yeah, I'm not going to take to Geneva. <laughs> so when I'm doing kind of aerobic exercises, I can be using the dumbbells. Mm, cup of tea. Right, you ready now? Are you going to carry on now? 
Um, let me just finish my tea. Tea drinking's all right. Hmm? Tea drinking's okay, you can drink tea. Do you have soy milk in your tea? I don't have anything in my tea. Oh, you're one of those people. Just black tea. Okay, I'm ready. Ready now? I'm ready. Let me just move my water. I've also drunk two litres of water almost today. (laughs) Drinking a lot of water. Right, should we kick this off again? Yeah. This is unfinished business. Oh, no, not that bit. (laughs)